Before we go into the podcast, I want to just talk about a business that I've set up with my friend George. Uh, it is called the Podcast Introduction Group. So if you want to join and be able to be featured on 24 to 48 pods podcasts to be able to reach an amazing audience, this is the place you need to go to. Podcast being a guest on podcasts is automatically establishing you as an authority and is able to build your personal and professional brand. We handpick of a bank of podcasters that we have to be able to grow your business and brand. We do 100% of everything that needs to be done by my team. You do not need to lift a finger. You are able to expose yourself to new and relevant markets by going on other people's podcasts. You also are able to create brand loyalty. People will love listening to you and coming back to your products or services and it's able to increase your revenue so if you want to be able to get involved you can sign up quickly registered with a with an account manager there's an onboarding call where we target the podcasts that you want to be on the type that you want whether it's entrepreneurship business health fitness whatever it is we then match you to those podcasts and you can start your journey We have regular catch-ups with our account managers and Google ranks you when people search for you. So when people are searching for you, you're able to see your podcast at the top of the list. So if you are interested in being a podcast guest on multiple podcasts, we are the place to go. If you go to podcastintroduction.com and go and register your details, we will have uh, a quick call with you. Uh, match your your podcast that you want to be on and we can then start this process ASAP. Thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Back onto the podcast then. Just one last thing before we go into the podcast. I just wanted to talk to you about the fact that I have a YouTube channel that has been going for quite some time and I am recording and releasing all of my interviews with some short videos as well on YouTube. So please do check it out. YouTube on Absolute Business Mindset. You'll see a bunch of interviews there, all the longer format interviews and some short videos as well. So please enjoy that. And here goes with the podcast interview. This is the Absolute Business Mindset podcast, created and hosted by Mark Hayward. This podcast will interview entrepreneurs, business owners, and people in their careers. We will delve into their journey to success, key life milestones, and go deep into their area of expertise. Get ready to learn from others' successes and failures. Today, we have Martin Sines, who's the managing partner of Bequest Funds. Hello, Martin. How are you today? Good, Mark. Thanks for having me on. Absolute pleasure. Thank you so much. We're going to have a lot of fun here today. We're going to talk about your uh, your business, your career, um, and uh, we'll go deep into that, uh, which I'm looking forward to immensely. So let's start, first of all, we did a degree in philosophy. What made you decide to do that? You know, I think uh, just kind of love for knowledge and um I like, uh, you know, I've always been a kind of fan of uh, reasoning things out, and I still kind of do that today. I mull things over and uh, like to be strategic, like to be intentional about what I do. So the philosophy degree fit right into that. 
So there is a philosophy. What some people don't realize is that it, it's based on logic, isn't it? It's, uh, mm-hmm. it's, it, it's building up a, 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 a thought process upon, upon logic has been. So do you think that that basis of logic has helped you throughout your business career? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just kind of the um, learning how to think on a more structured level um, would would help any individual. I mean, anyone can, um, I know a lot of college teaches a lot of technical skills and, you know, that's great. And one can, you know, transition that into the workplace, but just to be able to think on just a very um, kind of raw level is, uh, is, is important. Awesome. And then you did an MBA after that. Um, what what made you decide that you needed that additional education with an MBA? I'd say the the business world, um, when I got out with my philosophy degree, is as much as I could critically uh, think, um, you know, the, the, the business world didn't value uh, for the philosophy degree too, too highly. So, um, I figured going back and getting a business degree, a more technical degree would, would be helpful for my career. Makes a lot of sense. And, um, do you find, did you find that, cause what I've heard from other people, I've not done an MBA myself, but what I found from other people is that MBAs are, are often geared towards, corporate jobs like um like consultancy or uh, management consultancy or or even sort of finance roles did you did you find going towards a sort of business owner entrepreneur that it maybe wasn't as useful as maybe it would have been if you'd have gone into corporate yeah absolutely um i i put very little uh, of the mba to use as an entrepreneur um, that's just me. That's just my own personal take. Yeah. Um, it, I, I found that a lot of peers in the MBA program went on to be consultants and, um, <clears throat> you know, work for, for large consultancy type firms and, or, or work in large corporations. And uh, that just wasn't me. I found that out after going through the program and, and getting a management job where I, I was managing over a hundred people and I, I was just kind of hating every minute of that experience. Um, what, what was your first job coming out of education? I managed the call center um, for Sears Roebuck. And, uh, and, and so it was just a call center environment, high contact, um, lots of call center reps, um, lots of kind of mid-level management and uh, there was just kind of high pressure environment. And and did you did you not did you not enjoy that sort of environment? I didn't I didn't mind the people themselves. It was the whole corporate structure where um, there was a lot of politics and a lot of a negativity, and uh, people were always fearful for their jobs, and and so they were kind of stepping over each other, and so there was. There wasn't this uh, collaborative type environment. And um, so it just wasn't, it it was a big turnoff for me. Right. And then you co-founded a museum exhibit uh, in, in, in the early 2010s. What, what, what did, why did you, why did you create that? 
Yeah. So uh, after my wife and I decided, you know, corporate America wasn't going to be a fit for for myself and we decided to go out and do our own thing. And so at the time we were living in the Washington, D.C. area. So we decided to open up a um, federal contracting company that sold museum um, exhibits to the federal government. So um, we we launched that company, and it took a few years to get off the ground. Wow, that's uh, that's a very niche area of of business. What what attracted you <laughs> to that? What like what what was the the thought process to museum exhibits? Sure. So this was after kind of a, a year of soul searching, and uh, my wife and I took off, and we were reading books and going to seminars, and really just. We knew our end game was going to be in the real estate investing um, area. <clears throat> However, we also knew that we needed ongoing cash flow from a business to be able to sustain, you know, our, our uh, vision or our just kind of objectives in life. And so um, we looked at, we did self-reflection and we realized um, my wife is very creative. She's very good with design and for myself, I wanted to work with a product that was tangible, but also have there be a service behind it. Right. So uh, after kind of going through a, a number of different options, we landed on museum exhibits. Absolutely fascinating. A really, really niche area of business. Like you're the first person that I've interviewed over, I don't know, 120, 130 interviews I've done so far. It's the first person that's ever done anything like that or, and use that as a as a as a stepping stone it might not be at the time a stepping stone but it was basically a, a a way of running a business i think it's absolutely fascinating um and then you sold that in 2013 so mm-hmm. how were you successful in your sale of the business obviously it can be a bit it's, it's a bit of a minefield isn't it selling a business yeah, I mean, it took us it took us three years to really just start making money in the business. So um, there was a whole long, long journey uh, through the forest to kind of find who we were and put our processes together and build a clientele list. Um, but over time, um, you know, we obtained contracts with the Pentagon and, uh, you know, many other kind of prestigious federal installations. So, so we started landing um, lucrative long-term contracts. So by the time we sold the company in 2013, my wife and I built a portfolio of real estate property we were managing. And the, the business was at a peak in terms of um, top-line revenue. So it was very, it made it more appealing when we listed it with a business broker to sell. And, but it did take about a year for the whole sale to take place. And um, we will move on to your current business. I'm just absolutely fascinated by this. What, what, what sort of um, exhibits, what, what type of things did you, did you sell uh, to, to, to government contractors? Sure. So when you go into um, federal buildings, you you will find a lot of not just artwork, but you'll find a lot of displays up against the wall in terms of like murals, uh, display cases, um, mannequins, uh, you know, various types of artwork. And so there's a whole um, 
you know, there, there's a whole initiative that a lot of the federal entities have, whereas they have to um, express what the value of their entity is and they have to go and, and communicate. So because different federal entities are always vying for attention and vying for federal dollars in the budget. So one of the ways they're able to kind of express, you know, what their initiatives are and their mission is to uh, do it through exhibit displays. That's fascinating. Thank you very much for your answers. Okay, let's move on to your current business bequest fund. So why don't you tell me a little bit about what you do, um, who you serve and um, how you help? Sure. So in 2013, I was looking for uh, kind of the next venture to do after we sold our company. And what I landed on, I, I went to a local real estate investor club and I, I stumbled upon a note investor. And what I learned is that you can buy mortgages in the secondary mortgage market, whereby the, the homeowner hasn't made a payment in four or five years. And you can pick those up at a discount and, and work with the homeowner to create a payment plan to help keep them in their home. Okay. So, so um, we, you know, I set off just to learn everything as I could about it and uh, really just kind of bought some mortgage loans and, uh, and, and gave it a crack. That's really interesting. I'm just thinking through from uh, you, because I'm based in the UK, I'm based in London, and we would probably call it repossessions. So at the places that repossessions are slightly different because repossessions are, from what I understand, a properties where people haven't been able to pay and, and they're losing their property mm-hmm. and in theory you can pick up deals that way but actually your the note investing is actually your you're you're buying the mortgage is that right you're but you're you're in essence buying the mortgage and what they the 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 owners pay you mm-hmm. to pay their mortgage off Correct. So how it, how it works, um, how the whole sequence of events works is you have a bank that originates a mortgage for a homeowner and, and over time, a portion of the mortgages that the bank originates go into default. Mm-hmm. Um, something happens in the homeowner's life, whereas, uh, you know, they could have a divorce or, or lose their job or some health circumstance. And so over time, the bank will go and bundle those into pools and sell them into the secondary mortgage market to a hedge fund like ours. And the hedge fund has a decision to make when they they purchase these mortgages. They can purchase the mortgage and and get uh, set up legal um, to start the foreclosure process, which is probably similar to the possession process in the UK, wow. whereby the bank goes exercises uh, the lien on the property and, uh, and and goes through the court system to take back the property so that the bank can can now um, have a uh, real estate owned asset called an REO and, uh, and, and they own the property. Or the hedge fund, like our hedge fund, <clears throat> and what I learned early on is it's more compassionate and more profitable from a long-term standpoint to, to do everything possible to work with the homeowner to keep them in their home mm-hmm. and create a long-term cash flow stream for your company. 
and and we, that's that's our that's how we operate our company. So in in a way, you're kind of supporting you're supporting the mortgage people who have gone through a difficult time, and you're are you guaranteeing their mortgage payments? Yeah. So when we purchase the mortgages, we assume all the rights and responsibilities of the originating mortgage lender. So we have the ability to go and create any kind of loan modification um, program that, uh, that, that works. And what we do is we look to see what the homeowner can afford and try to match it with what our, our return expectations are for that, for that mortgage. And in, in, in essence, we're looking for a win-win where uh, everybody everybody wins. The homeowner can afford the payment and, and we can accept the payment given what we need from a return perspective. So, so if a mortgage is like 25 years or 20 years, something like that, left to pay and they, they went through a, a difficult time, if they could only pay half the mortgage payments, do you pay the other half and then they then pay you at a later stage, I'm just trying to get to uh, like really understand so, what your business model is because are you paying their mortgage and then they pay you over a longer period the rest of their loan? Is mm-hmm. that how it works? Yeah, so so uh, close. So so actually, what we do is we modify the original terms of the loan, and we have the ability to do some forgiveness of debt. Uh, we have the ability to lower the interest rate, extend the mortgage term out. Right. Um, so there's a lot of things we can do to set the homeowner on a new course um, with with their obligation. And so at the end of the day, once we get through that agreement phase, then the homeowner will pay us directly. Right, right. How risky is note investing? It's, uh, it's, it's risky. It's risky when, um, if you're not set up as a note business. So what that means is there's a lot in terms of compliance. Uh, there's a lot in terms of due diligence when you're purchasing these assets. So, um, if you're not set up correctly, then you can create an astronomical amount of risk with note investing. But if done correctly, and if done in a compassionate way, when you're, you're um, you know, on the asset management side where you're dealing with the homeowners, then then there could be a, uh, you can mitigate a lot of risk and it can be a, a very uh, profitable business. Um, what inspired you? You said you met someone at a networking event that was doing note investing. But what was the inspiration after speaking to him that you thought you could do? It? Actually, this is something that. I can do what, what was the inspiration behind it? Sure. So, um, my thought was that, uh, I saw it as a way to make a lot of money in real estate without having to own the real estate property. So it was one, it was very self-interested when I started. And what I learned within the first year was that, um, was that it was an area I, I tend to have a big heart in terms of just kind of, that's just my personality. So what I learned is I could be a great service to people and help them stay in their homes and create this long-term stream of income. And, and so, so that kind of fueled my passion and, you know, and that, and it being lucrative and building cash flow and, and kind of, you know, rewind to one of 
one of the first things I said is that my wife and I are our vision for ourselves and, and goals in life was to um, be real estate investors, was to be on the investor side of the fence yeah. and build multiple streams of income for ourselves on a passive level. And so uh, fast forward to today, you know, that that's what we've achieved and we still have so much more to go, but you know, we've achieved at least like that baseline level. Do you have your own portfolio of properties that you own? Yeah. So we don't actually own the, we have a port, my wife and I have a portfolio of properties we own, but on the mortgage note side, you actually own the mortgages, not the property. But, and but, but, yes. but separately, do you, do you, do you have your own portfolio as well? Yes. Um, and is that local to where you are, where you're based? Um, it's so, so we relocated our company down to Sarasota, Florida, um, about a year and a half ago. And, uh, all, our, all of our properties in the DC area. Okay. Okay. But our mortgages, the mortgages we buy are spread out throughout the United States and, wow. uh, we own several thousand mortgages. Wow. Several thousand. And that's been built over what, a, an eight year term? Uh, a nine year. Yes. Okay. Same, same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, do you think you've fulfilled your potential? No, not so, not so much. Um, I, you know, one of the goals I have in my life is to serve a million people. So, um, you know, I got inspired to write a book on note investing with what I do know. And um, I've, I've since written five books in total, Wow, And so, um, you know, I'm a lover of education. Um, I'm constantly education, educating myself, constantly learning. So um, what I'm inspired by is kind of giving back the little that I do know so that I could be a help to someone else because there's so many people, not just in the U S I'm sure everywhere that, that are in middle upper middle class levels and they're getting crushed and they're getting crushed financially. They're getting crushed with uh, in- inflation. They're getting crushed by not having enough in retirement. And <clears throat> just basically they're not having enough money coming in on a monthly basis to offset all the expenses they have in their life. And so they're living well below their potential and their means. And so, um, you know, I, I, I hope to serve as just kind of maybe uh, giving some, a way for for others to kind of think about their financial situation differently. So, what's your latest book that you've written and released? Uh, Cash Flow Dojo: Build Your Home on Multiple Streams of Income. And I wrote that a few years ago. And all the books, if you just look my name up on Amazon, they're they're all on Amazon. But, and uh, multiple, but yeah, my sorry, go on. No, go on. no, no. I was just going to say that's that's my passion is uh, financially. Um, I've achieved uh, financial freedom maybe about six years ago. So um, what that means is if I never worked another day in my life, I would have enough money coming in, um, you know, to continue to support my, my, myself, my wife, my four children, and we would be very comfortable. And so, um, but I'm looking for so much more in so many ways, not just money wise. Um, what is your day-to-day activities? What, what, what do you do every day? 
I have two podcasts today. You're one of them. So I love starting my day kind of, you know, just kind of going back and forth uh, with you. And so I'll do a few podcasts a week. I will, um, I am uh, working on, um, we do have a team of 14 people here that, that uh, we operate the company with. I have a partner. Um, We are uh, hiring three more people next month. So we're, we're growing rapidly. So I've been spending a lot of time on training and development internally with, with the team that's in place. So that, that also kind of takes, um, takes some time as well. And, uh, and- Oh, raising capital. I raise capital. Uh, so for BeQuest funds is an income fund. Um, oh, so, so actually let me tell you about kind of the last piece to the puzzle. Sure. A couple of years ago, my partner and I, um, we decided there was a, there's a lot of people based on the books I've written that reach out to me on a weekly basis and they want to know more. They want to know how they can get involved, but they don't necessarily want to set up a whole full scale business for themselves in mortgage note investing or real estate investing. So we decided to, to launch a, an income fund whereby investors can invest money in and receive a 9% annual return paid to them on a monthly basis. So that's kind of in line with monthly cash flow, which is my passion. And so also passive income. So um, I talk to investors half the day and, uh, and work with them on, on getting them in the income fund. And it's a, it's a $50 million income fund. And that money that you've generated from that, from that fund do you then purchase the mortgages through from the fund? We'll be back after a quick break. If you want tips and strategies on how to start, grow, and monetize your business online, check out the Digital Revolution podcast with Eli Adams. We interview digital experts from around the world that share their personal stories. They talk about what they're currently working on and where they see the future going. But most importantly, they share tactics in their specific area of expertise with the hope of helping you improve your digital presence online. You can listen to the Digital Revolution podcast on YouTube, Spotify, Apple, iHeartRadio, or simply click on the link in the show notes below. Yes. Yes. So, um, yes, it's like a match investing, what we consider. So what that means is... um, if uh, we only buy seasoned performing mortgages in that fund, so there's nothing, nothing distressed, everything coming in is performing how it needs to. Um, so what what we do is we will uh, uh, find an opportunity that may cost two, three million dollars to purchase uh, a pool of loans. And we will then go and talk to our investor community and uh, raise two to three million to purchase the mortgages. Okay, thank you. Um, how do you handle economic downturns? So we, we're we've gone through a pandemic um, which has affected economies all over the world. Um, how do you sort of mitigate those those economic downturns periods? Yeah. So <clears throat> during economic downturns. There's actually um, the our industry actually thrives during economic downturns in that um, there's more inventory, there's more mortgages to buy and pricing decreases. So with that, that's kind of offset with homeowners 
having less disposable income and ability to pay. Mm -hmm. So, so there's always the good with the bad. However, um, you know, you can buy at low enough pricing where, where it offsets that, you know, that, that, that additional uh, burden of uh, home ownership and, and having less disposable income. So actually now during, um, you know, economic upturns, uh, like where the stock market's doing what it's doing and all real estate, um, values or, or, you know, through the roof. Now it's actually more difficult to find mortgage products to purchase. And, uh, and and that's kind of where it's at. So, but with, as it relates to COVID, what's interesting is a lot of the news, um, you know, came out and, you know, cause they're sensationalizing everything and they would talk about all the moratoriums and all the restrictions that a lot of lenders have had to, to collect on money that was due. Um, but with us and the homeowners we were supporting, we found that homeowners actually valued where they lived much more during COVID and we're still in COVID. I mean, however you kind of want to call it. Um, people are valuing their place uh, where they're living and doing everything possible to make their payment. So we actually found uh, more favorable circumstances during COVID as it relates to homeowners and making their payments. Sure. How do you approach negotiating when you're looking to purchase a, a, a mortgage? How, how do you approach the negotiation side of this? Yeah. So since we've been buying for years um, at the tune of millions of dollars, uh, we've built a reputation in the industry where, where um, we can be trusted we can be trusted to know what we're doing. We can be trusted to close on time. Um, you know, all those good things. We can be trusted to honor our word in general. So <clears throat> um, over time, that's made it easier on the trades, kind of going into it with that reputation. And also, too, that it's a very niche space. So there's not a lot of competitors. Mm-hmm. So so um, just kind of put all those together and uh, it, it helps us kind of set the stage. And there's pricing expectations in the market. And if you know them, if you know what they are, those ranges, yeah. then then you can price within those pricing expectations and be a trusted buyer. And uh, kind of the world will open to you in that regard. Fantastic. Um and you mentioned what earlier on about multiple streams of income, which is something that I am passionate about being able to build things that I make you money while you sleep. And books are obviously a, a, an example of that. Mm-hmm. But what, what other, how have you structured your strategy of multiple streams of income beyond the note, note investing and your books? Yeah. So I wrote, when I wrote the books, I had a lot of people that reached out to me, um, uh, well, when I wrote the books, I had I had uh, you know a portfolio of rental properties. They were paying uh, my family monthly. A portfolio of mortgage loans that were paying me monthly. The homeowners were paying me monthly. And I wrote the book, and I started seeing book royalties. And then I had people reach out, and they were like, "Teach me how to do this. I want to learn this." And so I started training and mentoring some individuals, which was also a nice. Um, you know, flow of income as well. Um, but I, I don't, I don't teach or coach right now. Um, but one of the things that I did was that, um, I, I recorded 
the training uh, courses and, and material. And uh, I would sell online courses. So, so and that, that was, re- that was really cool because someone can pay and they can be trained on a pre-recorded, you know, training course that I'm not having to be a part of. Yeah. And yet I'd still see a revenue uh, stream from that. And what, it's interesting you say about that sort of pre-recorded stuff that, that you can then sell on. What what's if you were comparing the the outcome of coaching someone to do it versus doing sending someone a desktop training or, or, or online training, um is your are more people looking for the one-to-one stuff with you with this investment strategy or are they are they sort of happy to to have a sort of hour or a couple of hours worth of content online? Yeah, so I decided um, a, a hybrid approach would be best. So what I did is I did the online training, which was pre-recorded, and I would do a few coaching calls right. after they viewed um, the training course. Um, <clears throat> but what unfortunately, and I say I, I really mean this, unfortunately. Only a handful of people finished the training mm. and took me up on the coaching calls and they just never made it through. And um, yeah, that's unfortunate. I think a lot of people start things and don't finish them. Yeah. I think there's some, there's some statistic I saw a little while ago that about 25% of people who buy online courses actually ever complete them, mm. which is such a shame because people are investing their, their money into this and and they're not, they're not completing them and, and, and actioning. Cause obviously we can all learn, but it's the, the, the deem of being able to action it, which is the most important factor in, 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 in training. Oh, 100%. What book or podcast or course, um, are you listening to at the moment? What, 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 what are you, cause you said you're into self-development yeah. and personal development and yeah. what, what, what are you listening to at the moment? Uh, I like this guy, Joe Brown with heresy financial. Um, I like, uh, reventure consulting. Um, so, so reventure consulting is more, more, um, real estate focused where he, he looks at different markets within the U S market for real estate. Mm -hmm. Uh, heresy is more economics. So he talks a lot about inflation, the federal reserve and, and kind of where we're headed that way. Um, there's also a guy uh, I'll listen to sometimes economic ninja and he just talks about supply chain and, uh, and just kind of uh, cryptocurrency and some other kind of topics, but everything's financially related. Wow. I need to, uh, my wife does all the parenting podcasts and everything. So I need to, I try my hardest to kind of get into parenting education because I have four children, right. so, but, but I just love the finance talk. Fair enough. Um, if your friends could describe you, and these are friends rather than business partners or, or people you JV with, if they could describe you in a few words, what do you think they would describe you as? Well, first of all, I don't know how I don't I don't have many friends outside biz, the business world. To be okay. honest with you, okay. um, I think between running the companies and and um, raising four children that are nine and under, wow. um, you know, I'm that's it. That's kind of my whole world. 
but I would say a description would be um, uh, diligent and committed. Right. Interesting. Interesting. Diligent and committed. Okay. Um, who was the person that inspired you in your sort of teenage years, whether it was sport or whether it's business or who, who were the, the people that were inspiring you through your teenage years? Yeah, I was a, uh, I was a C student growing up till I got out of high school. And so I was just really mediocre in terms of who I was. Uh, I did, I was skateboarding, you know, most of the time. And, uh, and so, um, I don't, I don't think I had many inspirations, I would say. Okay. Uh, my first one would be Ty Hicks when in my 20s. And Ty Hicks wrote a, about 20 books on entrepreneurship and giving you various um, strategies to develop mailbox money. And so I was kind of hooked with his, with his books. Fantastic. Um, if you could change something in your business... Just one thing, one thing that that's sort of nagging that you'd like to change, but you've you maybe not had the time, not had the, the the people to be able to do that. If you were to change something, what would you change? We'll be back after a quick break. Money is all around us, and we think about it more than almost every other aspect of our lives. But how can we make more of it, and what's our drive for building wealth beyond just the numbers in our bank account? Join us on the Make More podcast as our host, Matt Heslin, brings to you a dynamic lineup of experts in the world of investing, business, health, and beyond. Together, they unpack the secrets to not just surviving, but thriving in today's economy. It's about more than just wealth. It's about crafting life experiences, seizing opportunities, and building a legacy. Subscribe now to the Make More with Matt Heslin podcast and join us every week for new expert insights and inspiration. Um, I would, I would change, uh, the culture. So, so we have a very good, positive, upbeat culture with our company, but, um, the one thing I would change is, uh, just kind of to make, make us more of a high performing team. Okay. And, and we're working on that. Um, and, and again, we have a good company, our asset managers that work with our homeowners are compassionate, um, you know, we're, we're, we're doing very well financially. Um, but I am just, I just think like more of a, more of a, a high performance team, I would say. Fantastic. And, um, and what's the plan for the next two to five years then? Yeah. So we're putting some, um, ex- we're putting some executive level positions in our company, uh, a COO operating manager, um, some analysts, and um, really, I'm removing myself more from the day-to-day of the operation. And so that's one of the objectives. Um, uh, what, what can I say? Uh, buying a boat. And uh, so I'm kind of looking at that right now. Because we live uh, where our office is, like right outside the window, is Sarasota Bay, oh, so, which is the Gulf of Mexico. And so um, we live on the water for the most part. And, um, 
so boating boating's pretty big so i'd say that uh also too there's a a club called tiger 21 club so it's for very high net worth individuals um they come together and invest and so i i want to be a part of the tiger 21 club that's another objective awesome it sounds to me what you've talked about to, uh, today is that you're kind of transitioning your business from from you being a focal point of the business and actually setting up systems and procedures and getting the right people in place in the business. Um, would, you, would you agree? Are you, are you on that sort of transition to scale? Well, what's interesting is that, um, is that uh, I take a real systematic approach. I'm methodical in, in how I do things. So we have a lot of the systems in place. Everything's mapped out. Um, it's been re- mapped out for years and refined over the years. Um, so we have that as a benefit. I'd say removing myself, yes, um, through bringing in, um, you know, bringing in other VPs and, and COO and those other type positions to remove myself is, is really kind of the next step for us. Right. And so you kind of answered this already, but what, do you have a goal? Do you have goals? And maybe you can share one or two of them for 2022. Yeah. Uh, serving a million people. Um, uh, I'll share 200K um, in passive income monthly. Um, and Tiger 21 Club membership. Right. Fantastic. Um, so we're coming to the end of the interview. I ask the same six questions to all of my guests. They're quick fire questions. They don't need a quick fire answer. First one is what's the best decision that you made? To, um, to go into business for myself. It, it, it did, did the corporate world not, not fit you as a, yeah. Cause you know, you look around and there's so many people that just stay in their, in their place. Mm-hmm. And, uh, wish and want something more for themselves, but never, never make the move. So I could have gotten away from that job and said, Oh, well, I should just get another job because the grass is greener. Mm -hmm. And I decided not to, and just spend spending our savings going through a year long process of finding out what we wanted to do. Um, That was just, just priceless. What's the best piece of advice you've been given? Yeah. So um, whether you're coming in to something as an investor, coming in uh, self-employed, um, you know, the, the focus should be on monthly cash flow and it should be on um, an asset or some type of business you have control over. So control and cash flow are everything. So much of what I see people do um, on the investor side or just in general is they invest for appreciation. So whether they're putting money in a stock market and hoping that they buy low and sell high, or they put it into some retirement fund or mutual fund and hope that it, something will be there at the end of the day, um, a lot of that you know is wishful thinking. And people need to... Or, and I, I sound like I'm speaking down to some, but, but people should uh, consider an opportunity for what it'll yield to them with monthly passive income or monthly income in general. Some of it's going to be active, some passive. Thank you. Who's helped you most in your career? I would say uh, 
becoming an investor mindset wise, uh, Robert Kiyosaki with Rich Dad, Poor Dad, um, inspirational. Uh, I like, uh, I read a lot with uh, Grant Cardone and the 10X rule. So um, I love that book as well. Awesome. Do you have a mentor or a coach at the moment? So, um, yeah, I mean, we, we do, uh, as a company, we do sales training. Um, I have a co- weekly coach um, that, so our whole company gets coached as well as I have a coach um, that I work with weekly. And, uh, but also too, just, just um, the podcasts I listen to like Reventure Consulting and Joe Brown Heresy, you know, financial. These are also mentors as well that I'm picking yeah. up uh, nuggets on. Grant Cardone has a podcast, and yeah. Do you have any regrets? Yes, uh, I'd say I'd say being small for too long is a regret. I should have uh, I should have um, hired more people sooner. Should have should have grown faster. I should have um, taken on investor dollars earlier. I just self-funded myself for a while and, and I could have grown a lot quicker going that route. Um, so did, did you, did you take investment at one point? So, I, I, so it sounds like you bootstrapped at mm-hmm. the start. Did you, did you at one point then give up equity for investment? Yeah. So it, it, that was really when we launched Bequest funds and um, uh, you know, two years ago, that's when we started formally taking on investor dollars and giving up equity ownership and paying out monthly. And um, that's kind of completed the cycle because we have, we have uh, homeowners that make their payments to us monthly. And then we in turn turn around and pay our investors monthly. And it's uh, it's for life. There's no expiration to bequest funds. So uh, that's really when, when it kind of transformed things for us mentally. And do you think that was a mindset thing that needed to shift for you? Absolutely. Absolutely. Because before it was always, you know, I can do it myself. Um, you know, I'm just going to kind of plug away organically. And uh, it's kind of a selfish way of thinking about it because there's so many investors that are begging for monthly income mm-hmm. for more yield. Mm-hmm. And and so for for myself, just to kind of hold it all to my hold it all close to my chest and not share in the profits and uh, of, of this industry is, is just very selfish. I learned that later. Mm. What are you most proud of? I would say uh, my wife and four children and that, um, <clears throat> that, that my wife um, since we've had our first child has not had to worry about money one, one second of any day. And that's what I'm most proud of. Awesome. What does legacy mean to you? It means um, long-term being able to pass down to my children. And um, that's why we, we created the name Bequest Funds. Uh, Bequest is a legacy play as an evergreen fund that never expires. So um, I'm the largest investor in the fund. So myself with my own cash. And so um my intention is to have this be something I can pass down to my children after I pass away and they can receive monthly passive income and they can pass it down to their children. So, so this is what it's all about for me. 
Fantastic. And, and, and lastly, where can people find you if they want to reach out to you? Yeah, you can email me at martin at bqfunds.com or you can go to bqfunds.com, which is our website. And uh, yeah, ask me any question. It doesn't have to be investment related. I mean, just ask me any question. I'm, I'm here. I, I, I'm an educator at heart, so I love helping people. Fantastic. Okay. Thank you very much, Martin. I really appreciate your time. Thank you for your, for your explanation. Thanks a lot. Thank you, Mark. Thanks.